Turn to Exodus. Let's go to the 30th chapter and we'll go down to uh, verse 11. And we're going to read a little bit more about this uh, God taking these slaves and making them into a nation. There's a little bit of uh, organization here that we see in this. And uh, there's also, as we've seen every week, there's a picture that New Testament believers are supposed to see and supposed to get. Now, when you uh, read down through this, kind of uh, pay attention or circle or underline or make some note of the words. You're going to see the word ransom. The word ransom. That's a word that means a payment. And you're also going to see the word atonement several times in here. That gives us kind of what the theme is and the reason for uh, what this passage is about. About ransom and about atonement. Now, ransom, if it means payment, we kind of get that. And atonement, if you look at it, A-T-O-N-E. Think about that, at one, at one. Two separate beings, and they're brought together to be at one. Brought together. That's what atonement is. And, of course, that was done for us on the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our atonement. But back then... They, uh, this is before the cross, of course. And God is putting all of this together in uh, picture form through the offerings and the rituals and the sacrifices. And have you ever wondered as you read through this why there are so many pictures, so many rituals that they had to perform and yet... How long did it take Christ? How much did Christ have to do to fulfill every one of them? Just one. It shows you the scope of what Christ did on the cross when he died for our sins to fulfill all of the Old Testament pictures, all of them. It's as if God the Father gathered them all up and then at Calvary he put them there on his son and said this is what it's all about. And Old Testament believers were doing these things and they were to think about the day when God would provide the sacrifice for them and they were looking ahead to it. Every time they gave an offering, every time they offered a lamb, every time they went through those rituals, it was pointing toward the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course we look back to that and my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Is there an amen out there anywhere? Talk to me, okay? And um, as we think about that, this is what we're seeing in these verses, another picture of the atonement. But it's as if God is saying, because he knows us so well, I'm going to hit them where it hurts this time. There's a story about a, Millionaire, he uh, went out with a friend to go hunting. And they were going to uh, cross a barbed wire fence. And so they leaned their guns up against the fence and then crawled over the fence. Well, something went horribly wrong and one of the guns went off. One guy got shot in the chest, serious condition, but he lived. The other guy got shot in the wallet and died instantly. Isn't that about the way it is? And in our society, we, you know, values change a lot. There was a story about a young lady, and she was walking along, and this frog said, kiss me. 
and I'll turn into a handsome prince. She picked up the frog, put it in her purse, closed it up. And the frog says, hey, didn't you hear me? Kiss me. I'll turn into a handsome prince. It was muffled because of the purse. That's what that was. And she opened her purse back up. And uh, she said, don't you know that in these days a talking frog is worth a whole lot more than any prince is? <laughs> Values change. And some of the things that you struggle with in your family is because your values are different than your children's values. Your values are different than your grandparents' values. Things that we used to invest in, maybe we don't invest in anymore. Things that we thought were status symbols back in the day are no longer status symbols. All kinds of things, they change. You buy that one thing and you go, this will be the last one I ever need. And then it goes out of style. And then you feel conspicuous wearing it. I'm kind of glad that uh, when I see old pictures, we don't dress like they did in 1910. Can you imagine those big long dresses and all the stuff that they wore and the hats and the men with all of their stuff that they wore with no air conditioning? Can you imagine? Some things need to change, don't they? Now, some things I notice in the summertime, they change a little too much. Turns into bear season, B-A-R-E season. People need to put on more clothes. But um, things change. Things change. But there's one thing that should never change for us. Whether the stock market is up or down, our value is not found in our investments, but it's found in the death of Christ for our sins. Our well-being and our security is not found in how others react to us, what they do for us, or what they think of us, but it's found in the one who loved us with an everlasting love and the one who has redeemed us, the one who has atoned us, and there's supposed to be value in it. And it seems as though with everything else that Israel did, the offering of the bull, the offering of the rams, all of those kind of things, that God knows human nature so much, he knows that even in Israel, they're not going to really pay attention to this unless it costs them something. Now, aren't we kind of like that so many times? We think that if something is free, that it probably, well, there must be something wrong with it. It must be cheap. It must be broken. Somebody wants to give us something. We're suspicious. What do you really want? What are you really after? And we value things that we pay for. In fact, we even brag about it. And we talk about how much the car costs, how much our house costs, how much our clothes cost, how much... Uh, you know, uh, the restaurant costs that we went to. We, we gauge things like that. Well, we're not the only ones. They must have done this too. And so God says in this particular passage, I want you to give something that's going to make you think of atonement in a way that you won't forget. And what does he do? He's exacting an offering. This is not a free will offering that he's asking from here. And it's not a tithe because it's not a percentage offering. This is something that he is very very specific about. So let's go ahead and look in Exodus 30 and look in verse 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when you take the census, census, did they not know how many people they had? I would take that to mean they were doing it for organizational and military 
purposes so that they would know where they would go uh, while they were marching, while they were going through the desert, when they came upon any encampments or other towns, and so that they could organize so that they could take their land allotments when they got into the promised land and also to organize for military purposes as well. Military and organizational probably helped them keep track of people too. Is anybody missing? And uh, they had it all down. Okay, so then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom, a payment for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that, they may be, that there may be no plague among them, when you number them. Well, that would make you motivated, wouldn't it? Some of you, a health and prosperity preacher would take opportunity there to say, that's why some of you got COVID, you're not giving me enough. That's called out of context preaching, okay? Be careful of that. Verse 13. Now this is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Gee, I wonder how much that is. Oh, he tells us. A shekel is 20 geras. Got it? Okay. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord and everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above, that's why we think this is military, shall give an offering to the Lord. Now the rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When, uh, uh, when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourself. Sorry. Verse 16. And you shall... Take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle. The, they have to have money to maintain it, to keep it up, to keep it. It's in the desert after all. They have to have money to do the sacrifices and money to uh, pay the priests and the Levites that are working there. Okay, you shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle. That's what it's for. Uh, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. And so the real place of atonement was the tabernacle, and this offering of atonement was to make sure that they could maintain the tabernacle all through those years that it would travel through the desert. In fact, it had to be maintained all the way on to King Solomon, didn't it? Because he's the one that built the temple. This tent had to last a long time. And as you know, buildings and tents don't last a long time. They have to be fixed. They have to be repaired. Things have to be replaced. They have to be redone. It's just a necessary part of life. And that's what this offering was for, so that the tabernacle would always be there, ready and in place for the atonement offerings that the people of Israel needed so much. Okay? So you notice that the word atonement is mentioned in there several times, and the word ransom is mentioned in there. And then this money thing is mentioned in there. And it's not a percentage giving. The rich and the poor, every person who is numbered among this census is required to give uh, this particular offering. And apparently it was a manageable offering that they could give so that rich people would have no trouble giving it, but apparently it was something that a poor person could give as well. So the first thing we want to talk about today is that the only way you can be numbered among the people of God, it's very clear, is by the atonement. Now, 
Sometimes you'll hear some religious leaders, some preachers, even some church people that'll say, well, we're all children of God. Well, you better think about that just a little bit. Because by creation, yes. By salvation and relationship, no. There are children of God that are saved, and then there are children of the devil that are lost. When you think about this, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father. Anybody know? The devil, yeah. So he made it real clear. Paul talked about when we were saved, we were brought out of the kingdom of dark and we were put into the kingdom of light. Everybody that is not saved is a child of the devil and they are in a different kingdom and they bow to a different king. They live by a different law. They serve according to different standards than the children of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's why life sometimes gets difficult for us because we are not bowing to their God. We're not bowing before their king. We're not living by their law. We're not living according to their motivations. We've been changed and we are different. But nobody is numbered among the people of God without the atonement. Why? Because somebody might say, who are the people of God? Well, they're the good people. They're the good people. Well, they should be good people, but they're not the people of God because they are good. You see, we had to have our sins atoned for just like the worst person in the kingdom of darkness would have to have their sins atoned for in order to come into the kingdom of God. And so this numbering there, they numbered the people of God. The old song says, Oh, Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. It's the idea of I want to be included in the group that the Lord has numbered. Has he numbered you among his children? You see, the Bible teaches that all of us have sinned. And sin is not defined as something that makes us feel bad because there are some things you may do that are wrong, but you don't necessarily feel badly about it. There are other things that uh, we think about with sin. Well, sin maybe is something that society deems wrong. Well, our society says it's okay to murder babies. Does that make it okay? Absolutely not, right? We've got to understand this. Sin is according to the law of God. Now, God gave the law encapsulated in two ways. You love God with everything you've got. How many of you have fully done that all of your life? And you love your neighbor as you love yourself. So we could take those two things and we can see that we're sinners before a holy God. But then you take the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and you think about the things that are written in it. Have you always honored God? 100%. Well, none of us could raise our hands on that one, could we? Have you ever stolen anything regardless of its value? Well, then you're a thief. Have you ever failed to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Well, nobody does that. Well, then that makes you a liar. Have you ever 
had hatred and uncontrolled anger in your heart toward another person, whether you expressed it or not. Well, Jesus said that's the same as murder. And when you think about just going down like that, what would our standing before God be if he judged us according to his law? And that would be guilty. The old expression, they're guilty of sin. Well, that's us, isn't it? And we're guilty of sin because we can't keep the law of God. And that's why anybody that says, well, I try to keep the Ten Commandments, well, they better say try or they've broken one of them, right? I just live by the Sermon on the Mount or whatever. Well, the Bible says that you're judged according to the law of God. And so you have to have atonement. Atonement is for the people of God. When you think about this, consider what it says in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Those are not the words of Buddha. Those are not the words of Muhammad. Those are not the words of Greg. Those are not the words of anybody else other than Jesus Christ himself. Did you know Jesus, if you analyze every word that he spoke, he spoke more about hell than he did heaven? He spoke more about hell than just about anything else? And today we don't realize how real hell is. You know how I know that? Because number one, if you're lost, it'd scare you to death. And number two, if you were saved, you'd witness. But we don't really think about hell, and we don't think about people going there, and we don't think about why they go there. Well, they go there because they're like Hitler or somebody like that. Well, another verse for you, Romans 4, 5 through 7 and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith, his faith, not his works, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose, now listen to this, lawless deeds are forgiven and everyone whose sins are covered. What did Paul tell us? And what did David tell us? Paul told us that your works are all stained by your sin and unacceptable to God. And David told us that the very definition of sin is lawlessness or breaking the law of God. And when we look at it like we just did through the Ten Commandments, then that means all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and therefore all of us need atonement. Atonement is not for good people. Atonement is for sinners, lawbreakers, us, should I say. And that's why our only hope is in the Lord, because only He can provide atonement. Now, we've got to get that in our spirits, and if there's one flaw that I think that our church has, and I know we have more than that, 
It's the fact that I don't believe we're really all that passionate about leading lost people to Christ. I don't believe we're all that passionate about witnessing for the Lord. And we need to stop and think about where we were and how God saved us and what our responsibility is to proclaim the gospel to the lost, not just if it happens to happen, but with intentionality. Now think about that and let that sink in. That's our job. That is job one for the Christian on earth now. Let that sink in. Do you tell anybody about Jesus? Do you care whether you tell anybody about Jesus? Are you just flat out disobedient about it? Do you need some help and need to learn how to tell people about Jesus? There are plenty of people that can help you. But that's the first thing. And for any of you who are lost and you're thinking, well, that's for the good people. No, it's for the bad people. It's for you. Trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Second thing to learn about atonement in this passage is that it is valuable. It's valuable. The Lord said, I want you to give this. And I don't care whether you're poor or not. I want you to give it. You're going to give the same amount. It is a valuable, valuable thing. In fact, it's spoken of by Jesus again as a treasure in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. You know, why are we bored with the kingdom? Why are we nonchalant about the kingdom? Jesus said it's a treasure. If you don't treasure the kingdom, I doubt you've experienced it. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. What's this talking about? It's a comparison. It's a comparison. The kingdom of heaven is like the greatest treasure you would ever find. And if you found it, guy's plowing in a field and the plow hits something. And he goes, what is that? And he looks and it looks kind of strange. And he uh, doesn't look like a tree root or anything. So he starts to dig and he finds it's a chest. And he opens up the chest and there's all kinds of gold and jewels in there. You see, back in those days, they didn't have banks in the same way that we do now. And if they wanted to protect their valuables, they buried it in a place where they could find it again. And because Palestine was a place where it seemed like in history, every great battle and war and empire seemed to meet there, a lot of times people that buried a treasure somewhere, they were killed in war. They were killed by disease. Nobody knew it was there. This guy's just plowing a field. It's not his field, but he plows it and hits it, finds a treasure. What does he do? Well, he doesn't take it for his own. He puts it back. And then he goes and sells everything that he has because he knows that piece of land with that buried treasure is worth more than anything else that he has. And so he sells it all in order to possess that treasure. And when he buys the land, then the treasure under Jewish law was his. Now, Jesus is not making an ethical statement. That's the way things worked in those days. He's simply saying, how excited would you be about the treasure? You ought to be more excited about the kingdom of God. In those days in Palestine, the most valuable jewel was actually a pearl. Pearls were hard to find. Pearls were hard to come by. Not many oysters in that area, right? 
And so there's a merchant that is looking for pearls. And then he finds one that is the pearl of great price. And Jesus said, that's what the kingdom you're in is like. This is a man who sells everything to get that one pearl because nothing else compares to it. Folks, we don't value being in the kingdom of God. It's not worth our time. It's not worth our money. It's not worth our energy. It's not worth our enthusiasm. It's not worth our schedule or anything else. And yet Jesus said, here's what it's like. It is so valuable that people will give everything they've got for the kingdom of heaven. You know what? That's exactly what it'll cost you. Whenever you say Jesus is Lord, you are in essence surrendering everything about your life to him and to his sovereignty. You know, the fact that we're not under persecution kind of makes that a little bit dull to us, doesn't it? But when you're under persecution, let's say that you were in a church that had to meet today in secret, and you found out that your pastor, your Sunday school teacher, maybe even your spouse, had been put into prison and they were awaiting execution. This would mean a whole lot more to you then because those people that are in those kind of countries give everything, everything for the cause of Christ. And we debate over petty things so much. And we withdraw so easily. And we run over to the sideline and pout. I have watched over the years as particularly college quarterbacks they come to a team with great hype and fanfare only to find out they're going to be sitting on the bench when they're a freshman or a sophomore even. And you know what they do? Go to the transfer portal. I'm going to go someplace where I can play. They don't really love the school. They don't really love the team. And they don't want to stay with their word or keep up with their word. They're gone if they can't have the glory and the spotlight and it can't be on their terms. You know any Christians like that? You know any people who look at church like that? I'm going to join the team until I don't get what I want or need out of it. And if I can't be first string, I'm out of here and I'm going to go someplace where I can. Boy, what a sorry thing. No wonder we're not having any more impact on our culture than we are. We should serve with enthusiasm. I told Taylor when he was playing basketball and he was upset because he wasn't playing more, I said, no, you can't quit. You're going to finish out the year. And I don't care whether you're on the court or on the bench. When you're on the bench, you pay attention to the game. When you are on the bench, you cheer for your team. When they ever come in for a timeout, you congratulate them and you stand behind them and you be the first one up there to listen to what the coach is saying, even if you're not going to be on the court because that's what a good team member does. Anybody say amen to that? That's the way it ought to be in church. That's the way it ought to be in the kingdom of God. And there's something wrong with us when we value the things of the world more than the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like that treasure that you sell everything you have in order to get. Like that pearl that you, save every, you sell everything you have in order to get to it. You get what he's saying? Atonement is valuable. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, it says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more 
precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by, by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revealing of Jesus Christ. Then he says in verse 18, knowing, why is my faith precious? Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. In other words, whatever your Christianity costs you, it is worth it. You got a bargain. Because all you brought into your salvation was your sin. And he brought the atonement. And so you may be in a hard place. You may be in a tough place with your family, with your marriage, with your job. Even with your ministry in the church, you may be in a tough place. But you shouldn't lose your joy over it. Why? Because you were redeemed with precious blood. It is a valuable, valuable atonement. Thirdly, it's a payment that must be applied personally, personally. These men that were numbered among this census, they had to pay. They couldn't say, well, my grandpa paid for me. Well, my dad paid for me. Well, my uncle paid for me. Well, I'm paying this for my son. They couldn't do that. It was personally applied because salvation and atonement is not something you stumble into. You're not born into it. You don't get it by going to the right church. You don't get it by being in the right family. You have to repent of your sins. And you have to trust in Christ's atonement on the cross as the full payment for your sins. And you personally have to surrender to his lordship. And guess what? The price is the same for everyone. I don't care who it is. The best person in the United States needs the blood of Jesus just as much as the worst person does. Just like this half shekel demonstrated, everybody paid the same amount because the same price was exacted for each person and their sin and their atonement. That's the way it is for everyone. One price and only one price, and that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then fourthly, notice that atonement results in service. The men numbered would make up Israel's military. But not only that, it was given to keep the tabernacle going. So there's going to be work involved. There's going to be labor involved. There's going to be fighting involved. There's going to be organization and training. All of those things are involved. In Numbers chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, it explains it. Take a census of the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male, head by head, from 20 years old and upward, all Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them company by company. In other words, let's get them organized here and let's get them ready. You think you're going to serve in the military and it not cost you anything? It's like the rebellious teenager that said, I'm tired of people telling me what to do. I'll show them I'll join the Marines. Think about that. Think about that. They're going to tell you where you're going to be, what you're going to do, what you're going to wear, provide food for you, assign you different places. You live where they tell you to live. I mean, come on. 
And if you don't do that, you're called AWOL, absent without leave. You're in trouble. And if you continue to do that, you're what is known as a deserter, which is treason, right? We think about that and then we apply that to the fact that our atonement, according to Ephesians 2.10, brings us into a place to where we're doing good works that we are appointed to. How are you doing on that? How are you doing? Are you eager to do those works? You couldn't do them without the Spirit of God. You couldn't do it without the atonement. You ought to be eager, whatever it might be. Even if it's changing a tire for somebody and getting filthy, dirty, and burning your clothes, count it joy when you can do that. Giving a cup of water in Jesus' name. It doesn't have to have a title or a position. It's whatever it is that He has ordained for us to do. Armies are supposed to be active. And so go to work, quit being lazy. And then the last thing you'll notice here is the, the atonement is supposed to be remembered. We do that all the time. Anytime somebody is baptized, the death, the burial, resurrection of Christ. When we take the Lord's Supper, as we did last Sunday, the bread is the body of Christ and the juice is the blood of Christ. And we remember his atonement. We remember his covenant. And God said that this is supposed to happen so that the tabernacle can go on as a memorial a memorial to those days when you were brought out of Egypt, but in generations, hundreds of years later, it would still be standing as that memorial. You know, our problem is we forget way too soon. We forget where God found us, don't we? We forget where we were headed. You really believe that hell is real? Really believe that sinners go to hell? then except for the intervention of God, that's where you would be heading when you die, you and all your loved ones. But thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. He sent His Son to us and for us so that we would not have to die and spend an eternity in hell. And you know what we need to do? Remember that. Remember the joy you had at your salvation. You remember how blessed you were to think that God loved you and sent His Son to die for you. Do you remember how wonderful it was to know that your sins had been cast as far as the east is from the west? I heard one guy say, it's kind of weird and kind of funny at the same time. He goes, when I got saved, he said, and I think you'll get it, I felt like I'd brushed my teeth all over. You know that feeling in the morning when you get in your mouth is fresh and clean? That's what he was saying. For me, I remember the burden of sin gone, gone. And I got up off of my knees in a different way than I went down. The burden of sin was gone. Now, we think about all of those things and say, yeah, we're glad to be saved, but we don't ever talk about it. That, that's an oxymoron. You talk about what you're happy about. We say that we're glad to be saved, but yet reading the Bible is just kind of boring. And yet Jesus said, you read the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life but the scriptures testify of me let's let's do this let's all stand and sing a song jesus i am bored with you would you do that oh i'd be afraid i'd be struck with lightning you ought to be anyway right how dare we be bored with the king of kings and lord of lords his word his church serving him what is wrong with us what's wrong with us that we would ever get in that situation. And so, wrapping it up, think about the things that are going on. Deuteronomy 4 and 9 tells us 
that uh, only take care and keep your soul diligent, diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart and the days uh, in the, all the days of your life, and make them known to your children and to your children's children. How many times does God have to say something for it to count? Once. But right here in Deuteronomy, he has to say it over and over again. Why? Because we are dull of hearing. And we forget the great things God has done for us. Deuteronomy 4.23, take care, lest you forget. Right? You're going down to Deuteronomy 6.12. Then take care, lest you forget the Lord. And it describes it more. Deuteronomy 8.11. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. And Deuteronomy 8.14. Then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. How in the world could they forget? How in the world could those slaves brought out of Egypt, how could they forget what's wrong with them? Well, I might as well ask, what's wrong with you? You do the same thing. I do the same thing. And we can forget who we are. And we can forget the price that was paid. And by the way, you say, well, with this money, isn't that giving them and buying their atonement? Where'd they get the money? If God had not delivered them out of Egypt and the Egyptians had not given them all that money to say, get out of here, they would have zilch, zero, nada, nothing. They were slaves, as good as dead when God brought them out. And everything you and I have today comes from above, from the Father of lights, right? Every good and perfect gift. Everything we have comes from God and it belongs to God. This was just a ritual to do what? To remind them where they were, what they didn't have, what they have now because they've been redeemed by the Lord and they were giving it so that they would never forget it. This was a repeated offering. And you and I are so quick to forget. And when we forget, there are some things that happen in our lives. And we need to be careful, folks. That we don't forget that Jesus is the one that brought us out of sin and into his glorious light. That's the picture here. Don't forget what Jesus did. Are you numbered among his people? And do you value what he has done for you? Have you personally repented of your sins, trusted in his death, resurrection and as full payment for your sins? And have you surrendered to him completely as your Lord? Do you serve him and go to work for him because he saved you and you love him? Good works won't earn you salvation, but they are a fruit of salvation, right? And do you think upon and remember your salvation and God's amazing grace? My chains are gone. Why? Because I made the right decision? No, because God saved me by his grace he gets all the glory there's a place for me in heaven why because of all the good things i've done no because of the death of christ on the cross his glorious resurrection and ascension 
and because of his marvelous grace. All of it goes back to him. And this whole passage points back to what God had done for them. And he's saying, I'm going to put this in a way where it'll be one more reminder and one more way where you won't forget. Have you forgotten what God has done for you? It'll show up in your life, your actions, and your attitude. And your attitude. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, we do invite people to trust Christ as their Savior and Lord. And we pray that people would come and join our church. But Lord, setting those things aside just for a second, it's really not about them, it's about us. Are we faithful as we are, where we are, with what you've given us and what opportunities that we have in church and out of church? And if we're not, discipline us, rebuke us, correct us, and restore us so that we can be effective for your glory and your honor. Restore to us, as David prayed, the joy of your salvation. And thank you, thank you, for loving us this much, unworthy sinners, yet made worthy by the blood of Jesus Christ. To God be the glory, we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen.